I can hardly wait to go back to Scotland. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. The more I get to know about Scotland, the more I realize I'm just scratching the surface and having a good time anyway. To help us visitors plug into all the fun Scotland promises and to overcome any of the challenges or confusion a visitor might encounter, we've imported three accredited blue badge guides from Scotland. Cullen Mares comes to us from the industrial heart of urban Glasgow. Anne Doig hails from regal Edinburgh, and Liz Lister lives nearby in the picturesque region known as the Kingdom of Fife. They're here to sing the praises of their favorite corners of Scotland and to debate the merits of what you should include on your own touring itinerary of Bonnie Scotland. Cullen, Liz, Anne, thanks for joining us. Thanks for Thank you. you. So we'll start off with Anne. Anne, you are from Edinburgh, and how should we consider Edinburgh compared to Glasgow if we can't do everything? Here we go. Well... <laughs> When you come into Edinburgh, and if you arrive by train, you emerge from the railway station, and right above you is this ancient medieval city and a castle rising from the rock. And the scene is absolutely magnificent. I live in Edinburgh, and I never tire of it. I Mm. just absolutely love it, and I get really thrilled when I see that. I'm very pro-Edinburgh because of its blessed with wonderful landscapes, great architecture, wonderful history, but I have to say there's real rivalries between the two cities of Edinburgh and Glasgow, and it can get quite nasty sometimes. <laughs> and I think probably 80% of the uh, tourists, at least from America, are going to Edinburgh. That's right. But they yeah. shouldn't miss out in Glasgow because I would say, and I think the Glaswegians would agree with me, Glasgow is much more of a Scottish city than Edinburgh. During the period of the, the union with England, Edinburgh had the, the parliament, and when it dissolved itself, the only way that you could make it in the world was to drop the old Scots language and adapt standard English. And everybody who was anybody, the landed gentry, they all went down to London and had uh, houses there and became very Anglified, whereas Glasgow stuck to its Celtic and Scottish roots, went out and traded and made a fortune with merchants, etc. But there's real historical reasons for the difference, and Glaswegians considered Edinburgh... English. So, so in order to thrive during uh, the difficult past times when London was quite aggressive with Scotland, you really mm. had to kiss up to England. Exactly. And the Edinburgh people were experts at that. They did it, yes. I, th- I think the Dubliners did that in Ireland, too. Yes, and then they, they had did. that whole notion of beyond the pale, which was beyond the Palace English realm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Cullen, you are a Glaswegian. I am. And how would you, um, how would you balance Edinburgh and Glasgow? <laughs> well... I like Edinburgh. Uh, I don't want to put it down too much. <laughs> you guys are so polite. <laughs> oh, it, it, is a, it is a charming town. Ed, Edinburgh's all right. But let's get down to brass tacks. Right? But, um, but Glasgow, the thing that makes Glasgow, in fact, this is the current uh, slogan for Glasgow to advertise the city. They say, people make Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, yeah, it's they a nice a city. Slogan, sorry for jumping uh-huh. in, but they used to have a big slogan on the M8 saying, Glasgow smiles better, yes. meaning Glasgow is miles better with a big happy smiley face. Yeah. And we, miles we used better. miles better and we always having a poke <laughs> at Edinburgh and we'd come back with Edinburgh's miles drier, which <laughs> is on the East Coast. Miles drier. And drier. That, yeah, that might be consumption of alcohol too. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now I was just in both Edinburgh and Glasgow and Edinburgh is quite stately and mm. pretty serious about its heritage. And when I go to Glasgow... You've got grand statues, but there's traffic cones on their hats that make them look like clowns. Talk about uh, that. There's a personality in Glasgow you don't find elsewhere. Yeah, Uh, a lot of people in Glasgow don't actually even know the name of the the guy. Uh, He's he's the Duke of Wellington, in case you're interested. Duke of Wellington, right there in the main, in front of this Georgian elegant uh, temple. Yes, it's in front of the Gallery of Modern Art. Uh, But most people in Glasgow know him as the wee man with a cone in his head. (laughs) (laughs) 
Translate that. What is that? Okay, so the, the wee man with a cone in his head, that's uh, the wee, the little man with the cone on his head. <laughs> uh, and so the government just lets the traffic cone, the bit orange well, traffic cone, go on the head it's of It's been an, an ongoing battle, and recently it, it got quite serious because they said, uh, the local council, they said, okay, we're going to remove this cone once and for all. Uh, we need to show that we're a clean and tidy city. And, and he's uh, the Duke of, of Wellington? The Duke of Wellington. Waterloo, the Battle yeah. of Waterloo. But that's yeah. a pretty big British thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, you're not just making a joke, you're making a joke with a little nudge at England. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I suppose you could say Authority, anyway, but, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Authority, yeah. maybe they're, that's they're, it. They're, yes, so they're, they're the, iconoclastic. Uh-huh. And oh, they, so they, want, they wanted to remove the cone once so and it's for the all. people. But the people protested. The Facebook page came up and people, loads of people joined that. And they got the cone to stay. So it's an icon of Glasgow today. It shows our sense of humor. Our expert guides from Scotland are introducing us to some of the highlights of their beautiful country. Anne Doig is based in Edinburgh. Colin Mares comes from Glasgow. And Liz Lister, who was actually guided me around Scotland for two weeks last year, she is from Fife, which is neither Glasgow or Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got this little thing going on here between these two great cities. Liz, what is your take on this? Well, coming from west of Fife, I'm almost in the centre of Scotland, so I can slag off both of them <laughs> um, and, and urge any travellers to include Fife on their, their itinerary. <laughs> First of all, the Edinburghers, as we would call them, we would tend to see as being rather elitist, that um, the capital mm. city, the city that has all the, the galleries, or, or it doesn't, but it believes that it has the culture. It was highly insulted when Glasgow was made the city of culture <laughs> and couldn't believe this. Um, so very much elitist and looking down on others. Whereas the Ouija's, uh-huh. the Glaswegians from the West, are very much about their sense of humour and their culture. But because of that, they're very insular. So coming from the higher education sector in a previous career, we used to joke that um, people in the west of Scotland, particularly in Glasgow, made their choice of university depending on which bus route it was on. (laughs) So um, getting up in the morning and getting the first bus. So they weren't really looking broadly and widening their horizons. So yeah, come to five. And and isn't there also some issue where... Glaswegians identify themselves by their football team, whereas Edinburgh people identify themselves by what prep school they went to. Which yes. school they went to. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is absolutely, you know, around the dinner table, um, if you're having a dinner party in Edinburgh, it will all about being, have you got your child down? This is in the affluent yeah. um, areas of, of Edinburgh. Have you got your child down which to a particular school, school which ah. is carrying on family traditions? Whereas in Glasgow, they'll ask um, what your surname is so they can size up whether you're Protestant or Catholic. And that, of course, is then when it comes into the football team, Rangers being Protestant, Catholic being Celtic. So but Celtic this... and Rangers, this is interesting. Okay, so the Celtics would Cel- be the... Just Celtic. No, oh, no. oh, Celtic. I'm sorry. You've got to get it right yeah. in classical yeah. football yeah. terms. So you got your Celtic, yeah. mm-hmm. which would be Catholic and working class? Well, no, this is really your, your uh, middle class that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But Edinburgh has its areas of deprivation, its areas of working class, which would be much more similar to Glasgow. So we're talking Mm. about the more middle class individuals, the more affluent, um, who would be having these dinner parties rather than Mm. meeting in the pub. So this is fascinating. And uh, if I can just referee this discussion on Glasgow (laughs) and Edinburgh, the main thing is they're both different, they're both welcoming, and they're like 45 minutes apart by train, and there's three trains an hour. And whether you're going to base in Edinburgh or Glasgow, if you got three days, one of those should be on the train to go to the other city. They're so so near to one another, yet so far apart. And uh, you could take a side trip out to the Britannia, for instance, when you're in Edinburgh, the the great ship of the royal Mm -hmm. family, and probably takes no more time to go to Glasgow 
that yeah. it takes to go to yes. what's what's the the port where Leith Leith you know so I would say it's, I would say it's easier to get to Glasgow than go to Britannia it's, if you've got an extra day in Edinburgh but I think all you have to do is hop on the train and you're <laughs> straight train. to Glasgow and you're right there to get down to Britannia you're talking about buses you're yeah yeah too complicated yeah, go I to think, Glasgow instead I think if you're planning a trip to Glasgow you'll be rewarded by doing some research because we see that Edinburgh is all laid out before you. It is absolutely beautiful, as mm, Anne said. You know, yeah. you're you're coming onto a stage where as Glasgow you experience mm-hmm. it's the smells, it's the people, it's the sounds. So do your research. It's not laid out for you so in the way that smart. Hold, hold back mm. the smells there, Liz, please. No, the smells. <laughs> the smells of Glasgow. Me. That'll be a whole other interview. But I'll tell you, I've been going to Edinburgh all my life. I've been to Glasgow a couple of times, and it was hard to get my brain around Glasgow. But then I, I had the services of a good guide. He's sitting at this table right here, Colin Mares. <laughs> And uh, Glasgow all of a sudden came to life. And there are great sites in Glasgow. But I want to talk about Edinburgh because we're going to be in Edinburgh. And there are a handful of major attractions. And I'm just going to read these attractions. And I'd like you guys to make your case for which one would be the best one for uh, somebody with limited time. You got the National Museum in Edinburgh, which is a best, I think, swing through Scottish history. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got the National Gallery which gives you an appreciation of the greatest art on canvas coming out of Scotland and a lot of history that you can read into that. you got the Britannia, which is the great uh, ship of the royal family, the, the yacht of the royal family, permanently moored now just outside of Edinburgh. The Portrait Gallery, which is a walk through the, the portraits yeah. of all the great Scots. And you got the Military Museum up at the castle, which is one of the better mu- military museums in all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Colin, what are your take on a couple of those sites for some advice? Well, for me, I would say the best one to visit, uh, if you can only visit one, it's the National Museum. Why is that? It's uh, it's a walk through Scottish history. You start down in the, the lower level. You start with the earliest people of Scotland, the Picts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come up through the history, up through our wars with England, the wars mm. of independence. You're up uh, through... Uh, the time of Mary, Queen of Scots, and her history, and and artifacts like mad. You've got yeah. you got fans where the elegant ladies would cool yeah. themselves that have pictures of Bonnie Prince Charlie. That would have been <laughs> yeah. a, sort of a political statement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tartan was a political statement then. Yeah, and yeah. you get a sense of that. And then it's the state of the art museum. And if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, Liz, if you go up to the very rooftop. Yeah. What do you find? A view, you, I'll leave Anne to talk about the view over the city, but you've got the, one of the best views of the city. But just what you've got in Scotland is an almost unique diversity. And that's all down to our geology and the way in which we were formed, because that in turn formed our landscape, it formed our soils, our agriculture, our land use, and our history is based on that. So I would support Colin that in the National mm-hmm. Museum, you can walk through Scotland's formation and its geology and how it forms. So if you want to start to understand Scotland, mm-hmm. the National Museum is a yeah. fantastic it, starting place. It really place. brings you right up to modern and, day. And don't you even have a garden on the rooftop? That Yes, this is one of my favourite places because... Um, for visitors, they might miss this. There's only one lift that takes you up, the terrace lift. And I have to say about the only thing negative about the National Museum, it's a wee bit what we call higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> it's not very easy to find your way round. This is true. You can buy audio sets to take yeah. you there. But there's a lift right at the back, the terrace lift. It's level seven. And from there, you get the most amazing views of the city, not the ones that you see on pretty postcards. And that's why I really love it. You see the university, the castle, but also the different layers because Edinburgh is really built on bridges. And for me, I think that's really exciting, all the different layers and textures. So if you're into photography, top of the um, top museum of the National is, Museum is and, really unique. And, and, but you've actually got an exhibit that has the different heathers and grasses. Yes, and, and geology. And, yeah, yeah, it's, it's perfect. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're debating Scotland right now with three great Scottish tour guides. We've got Cullen Mares from Glasgow. Liz Lister from Fife and Anne Doig from Edinburgh itself. <laughs> Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Susan's on the phone calling from Irvine in California. Hi, Susan. Hi. 
If you really need to see something outside of the cities, what should you see? St. Andrews. I'll jump in there. St. Andrews. So that's a, that's uh, the, the birthplace of uh, golf and also yeah, the Great Cathedral and yeah, a wonderful absolutely. old town. But also just to walk along the sands at St. Andrews, that was the home of Chariots of Fire. You've got the university town, you have all the students Mm -hmm. walking about, a large proportion of them, almost a third of them being American, Mm. um, with pink pashminas. Um, (laughs) But uh, you can walk around this, it really is just a little time warp on the east nuke of Fife. Well, I know my son-in-law will be thrilled because he wants to go play golf. You can do it. it. I was just there, and even if you're not a golfer, it's exciting to be there and and, and see all the enthusiasts, and they've got, you know, historic galleries and Mm. so on. Well, that was the other thing that I understand. It's anyone can walk on the courses. Is that correct? Well, that's that's right. correct. As long as you don't get in the way of the golfers. I'm a golfer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you don't want to get hit. Golfers. But it's uh, the old course, of course, is really famous because they say it's when it all started. There's big debates about that. But certainly the rules of golf were yeah. described there. But it's a public course, which surprises lots of people, belongs to the town. It was where people just grazed their sheep and cattle Mm -hmm. and they just carved the golf course out of it. So, yes, because of that, you have the right to walk on the golf course as long as you're careful and don't get hit. (laughs) And golf in Scotland isn't an elitist sport. The smallest village will have its own nine-hole golf course. So there's golf for every level of ability and every purse. Over 700 golf courses in Scotland. As a matter of fact, I'm not a golfer, but I had a great pitch and putt. That's what it's called at the, uh, what castle were we at? Codder Castle. Codder Castle. And it was very striking to me for, you know, for equivalent of $10, I could uh, compliment my castle visit with a gorgeous opportunity to do a little pitch and putt and golfing there on this nine-hole course. And, and it was a highlight of my visit. It was and really that included great. your height of clubs as well. That's <laughs> right. Hey, Susan, thanks for your call. Thank you. Jane's calling in from New Orleans in Louisiana. Jane, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you very much. This is so fascinating and wonderful to hear new, interesting places to discover in Scotland that I haven't been before. I really enjoyed watching and even participating in international folk dancing. Do you, Colin, Liz, Anne, have suggestions for places where a traveler can watch or even take a class in Scottish Highland dancing? Well, outside of the cities, if we're going mm-hmm. further north, if we're going yeah. to, to Fort William or Oban, mm-hmm. uh, they've got a place in both of these both of these towns. It's called the Skippinish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skippinish is also the name of the band who play there. And they'll they'll put oh. on a really good show. It's really kind of involves the people as well. They'll so get you Scottish up and teach folk the dances. Shop. Yes, you've got an open floor area where they get the people up to dance and... Yeah. Where, what would you advise, Liz? As you yourself found when you were on the tour, if you come through July or August, you will find that it's the Highland Games season. So the Highland Games is the pinnacle of all the training that the Highland dancers go through. So, um, you know, if you really want to see the elite in mm-hmm. action, those Highland Games are a fantastic opportunity for that. Or but even the future elite. We saw little five-year-old girls absolutely. dancing with all the grit and determination of absolutely. their older sisters. Yeah. But other than that, a Cayley, and there's no better Cayley than taking the funicular railway up to the top of um, Cairngorm, to the, the cafe up there, and you can join in a Cayley and be taught Scottish country dancing. Now, where is this? Cairngorm, what is that? Cairngorm is in Aviemore in the highlands of Scotland, the central highlands. Mm-hmm. It's one of our major ski resorts. And in summer, the funicular railway takes tourists up to the Tarmigan restaurant and they put on a keely there, especially for tourists. Nice. Anne Doig, what's your advice oh, for wow. seeing Scottish folk culture? Um, it's difficult to get into keelys, I have to say, mm-hmm. because uh, you don't know when they're going to happen. A mm-hmm. keely's a sort of get-together, a gossip, dancing and singing. 
And the ones that they tried for visitors at Edinburgh just didn't work. They just didn't work. Mm. There's one at the Prestonfield House, which I think it's is awful. terrible. It's yeah, it's really just tacky. Like, it's like Avoid them. And like bubbles and Skippenish and Oban yeah. is really good, but they'll walk you through reeling. But as Liz said, uh, July and August are the the clan gathering months, and uh, I have in many occasions just stumbled onto clan gatherings. And if you have your antennas out there and you know where the gatherings are, it would be worth, you know, driving for an hour to find one. And be there. And foreigners are so welcome. Everybody's gathered around. It is so down home and, and folky and, and, and just a delight. I think that would be a good advice. I'm going to jump in there. Yeah. Uh, this year is homecoming year. It's a, it's a strategy by the Scottish Tourist Board to try and bring back people of Scots heritage because they went all over the world during the time oh, of yeah. empire, which means it's a big year for Scotland because we've got the Ryder Cup. We've got the Commonwealth Games, which is British Empire Games, if you like. And uh, we've got the referendum. But it's also homecoming, so there's going to be events all over Scotland. So you will have an opportunity to have more gatherings where Scottish things happen. Good to know. And it's all on website, Homecoming Scotland. Thank you so much for these great ideas. It's so exciting. I hope you're taking notes because Scotland's waiting for you. I am. (laughs) Okay, bye now. I'm taking lots of notes. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Three certified tour guides from Scotland are helping us get acquainted with their homeland so we can make the best use of our vacation time to fully enjoy Scotland. And they're taking your calls at 877-333-RIC. Liz Lister's from the region of Fife. Anne Doig comes to us from Edinburgh. And Colin Mares is from Glasgow. Another big issue when you're in Scotland is the Highlands or the Lowlands. The lowlands Both. are like the borders, is that right? Or, or what, strictly, what are the borders? Strictly speaking, Rick, the, the lowlands is anything below the Highland Line. And where's the Highland Line? So the Highland Line uh, runs diagonally across Scotland. From Ireland and the so, southwest yeah. to Stonehaven. You can actually be south of Edinburgh and be in the Highlands, okay. which people, you know, in Ireland, it's a diagonal line. A diagonal, yeah. Geological it's, line. Yeah, of okay, line, and which, that's uh, the geological definition of the Highlands. Yes, yeah, so the Highlands is above the Highland Line. It's the, the Highland, Highland Boundary Fault But the line. amazing thing, culturally, historically, socially, follows that line. Everything north yeah. and west of that line is the Highlands yeah. with the kilts, the bagpipes. It's just the way the land has shaped the people okay. and the language and the culture. So below the Highland Line, people speak English or Scots. Above mm-hmm. the Highland Line, they speak Gaelic. Now, if I'm, looking for Scotland, if I'm looking for Scotland, and I'm typical American, not enough time, when I leave England, I just want to drive straight to Edinburgh. But you would be missing so much. The borders, the true borders, the Scottish borders, are where the debatable lands. This was the lands that were fought over ah. for the border between Scotland and England. So constantly, wars being waged here. But the abbeys that you find in the borders are truly remarkable. And uh, you really need to go and see each one because each one has its particular character. They're all ruins, but um, they've all got stories behind them. Which of these, what are these that have their... Jedburgh, Dryborough, Melrose. Oh, what did you call them? Abbeys? Abbeys. 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 Ah, the abbeys of the Bordens. And this is a disputable land. or The debatable mm. debatable. Now that gives it an extra poignancy. Yes. yes. It, you know, it's it's interesting that that was the land that had to be more determined to yeah. be Scottish to even survive as part of Scotland. survival was hard. You had the cattle reavers going out and stealing and, uh, you know, it has its own distinctive ethos in the borders. Okay, so having defended the borders, still, if you go farther north, deep into the highlands, mm. Wouldn't you say that's where you're going to find the clichetic, touristic sort of uh, yeah. Scotland? Yeah, the image of the image of the, the kilted Scot uh, with the tartan, and that's all from the Highlands. That's Highland dress. 
Well, it's become our national dress. One of our other Scottish tour guides, Martin, constantly refers to the invention of tradition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so Walter Scott. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, the, that is the stereotype of Scotland with your short mm-hmm. tins and your... Yeah. You'll, you'll find but them to, in the Highlands. Plus a lot of, uh, not towering mountains, but you've got lots of uh, good hiking up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, uh, are, what are the Monroes? Monroes are uh, mountains over 3,000 feet. Uh, so they were named after a man, Hugh T. Monroe. He made up this list, and we've got 284 Monroes. And you can, okay, so you can, Monroe is, uh, it, in English, we call it a hill. <laughs> no. It's a mountain. Over, it's a mountain, over 3,000 feet. A wee mountain. Over 2,000 feet, they're Marilyns. <laughs> is that right? Yes. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're learning about Scotland from the Highlands to the Lowlands. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Robin's calling in from Los Angeles in California. Robin, thanks for your call. Hi, I'm planning a trip to Scotland, and I'm curious, what's the best way to plan a hiking trip in trying to cover some of those Monroes in Scotland? Well, uh, one of the most successful ones going from either Glasgow or Edinburgh is Ben Lomond. So uh, Ben, that's the Scottish word for a mountain. Most of them are called Ben something. Uh, so Ben Lomond's next to Loch Lomond, a very beautiful loch. And, so that would uh, be a good mountain a, to climb? That, yeah. That ben would, Lomond. Easy to climb? Yeah, relatively easy. A good, good king um, of the mountain feeling on the yeah, top? Yeah, beautiful view from the top. If you've got a clear day, get a view right up and down Loch nice Lomond. Nice idea. That's, I'm going to put that on my list, Robin, because I, you know I've been in uh, the Lakes District or in Keswick, and, and there's lots of hills there, that mountains that people climb, and it's easy to get up there. It takes a couple hours, and you really feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah, mm-hmm. but our mountains are dangerous. Um, even Ben Lomond, which looks relatively innocuous, it can be dangerous. Our weather changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you were serious about really trying to get a number of Monroes under your belt, I would highly recommend that you get a guide. Mm-hmm. There's lots of specialist guides in this area who can really take you to the inaccessible places and get you get the most out of the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of very good little self-employed tour companies that run minibus tours out of places like Inverness. Mm-hmm. And I think they are excellent and they get you to historic places, prehistoric places and natural wonders. Mm-hmm. Robin, thanks for your call. Thank you. You can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Gerald's emailed us from Portland, Oregon, and Gerald writes, He highly recommends driving the western side of Loch Ness. Almost nobody does, and the scenery is spectacular. Also, the sheepdog demonstration just south of Carbridge is not to be missed. So this is a very good point Gerald brings up. Loch Ness, people drive along Loch Ness. You can go on... Which side? What's what's the, well, the north side? I think he's got his sides maybe mixed up there. Yeah. Um, it's the north side and the south side. So there's the yeah. north and the south. What yeah. are the uh, pros and cons? Well, the the north side is the tourist trail. Mm-hmm. The south side, nobody goes on. It's just a windy, bendy road. But you do get a different view and a different experience. Mm-hmm. It's more off the beaten track. And you don't side. have to drive by the Loch Ness Monster exhibit. That's true. Which yeah. is a huge advantage. You can see the Loch Ness Monster from both sides. <laughs> you can see it from both sides. And uh, Gerald's also talking about sheepdog demonstrations. Liz, you took me to a sheepdog demonstration. I think that's the one that Gerald's talking about. And tell this, us about that, because yeah. that was really good. Right. This is a tenant farmer from one of the big estates just outside Aviemore. And uh, this has really grown, so it's now probably earning him more than his, his sheep farming is. But he's a real character. He's very, very passionate about the sheep and uh, the current issues involved in sheep farming. But more important than that, his father constantly has puppies. So if you fancy <coughs> 17 dogs sheep dogs... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was there just when they were puppies. They hadn't even opened their eyes Absolutely. yet. And, and Rick Steves took one in his pocket back onto the bus. <laughs> I did. I was in love with this little puppy, and I just tried to... Yeah, so if you like baby lambs in um, May, June, 
And puppy dogs at any time of year, then definitely a sheepdog visit is for you. You know, I'm not normally a cute little dog kind of person, but I fell in love with this dog and he fit in my pocket perfectly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I almost had myself a absolutely. little souvenir. And Neil himself isn't too bad either. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good looking oh, guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No wonder we stopped there. And, you know, those sheepdogs are quite talented. Oh, they yeah. really know how to be the shepherd's best friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. So if you want to see a sheepdog demonstration, this one that Gerald's mentioning is south of Carbridge, C-A-R-R-B-R-I-D-G-E. Just outside Aviemore, just between Kincraig and Aviemore is by far and away the best one in the whole of Scotland. And how would people uh, look that up? Is there a name it's just of it? off the A9. Just off Lealt the A9. Farm. Lealt Farm. L-E-A-U-L-T. They can Lealt. Google that. L-E-A-U-L-T. Lealt Farm. Very nice. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been discussing the wonders of Scotland. And, you know, something for me that makes Scotland really, really powerful is to understand the passion Scottish people have for being Scottish uh, with all the pressure they've had over the centuries from England and to be part of the United Kingdom and all this. And you get these very emotional experiences with wonderful guides at local sites. I'm thinking of several places around Scotland, but let's just finish off, if we could, with each of you sharing one site in the countryside somewhere where you really gain an appreciation of the love Scottish people have for their heritage and, and the hard struggles they've had in the past. And Doig? Well, I would immediately think about Glencoe, actually, because uh, it means the Glen of the Weeping. It's actually a caldera with very steep-sided hills, and the hills speak to you. Uh, there was a terrible tragedy there, a massacre, and you have that feeling when you're there. In a nutshell, what was the massacre? The massacre was when the government turned on uh, Clan MacDonald because they hadn't signed an allegiance, an oath on time. And The government uh, the meaning government, London? Yes, the British soldiers, but they all came from Clan Campbell, but that was just to make it look like it was another clan battle. And they slaughtered, what was it, 38 Macdonalds in their beds, having, having billeted them. The, the soldiers were marched in and the Macdonalds looked after them for two so weeks the ma- and then the they... the McDonald's t- were hospitable and they let these yes. people into their houses mm-hmm. and then they did an ambush and killed them all. Yes. And these are the kind of um, intimate stories that are still alive like they happened last year. And uh, I, I guess it's, uh, you have a little baggage if you're a Campbell in that part of Scotland. In that part of Scotland, because I was really amazed. I was fortunate enough to be shown around the island of Lismore, just at the bottom of Glencoe, by Deirdre Livingston, one of the oldest, oldest families, and she made an acid comment about the Campbells. And I said, surely you don't feel anything. It was over 200 years ago. And she said, well, Glencoe's just up the road. Mm. So they do. There you go. Well, I, I have MacDonald heritage, Rick. Uh, my, well, my grandmother was a Donald. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Donald, MacDonald, that's MacDonald's just son of Donald. Right. And I've got a MacDonald tartan kilt. I was around that one time when I met the Duke of Argyll. He's the, uh, the chief of the Clan Campbell. And when I met him, I completely forgot. I was wearing the kilt, really, and I just shook his hand and... He kind of shook my hand a bit funny and looked a bit funny. And it was only afterwards I realised, I wonder if that's because I was wearing the McDonald coat and you recognised that tartan. You know, you've got to be a little more on the ball with what you're wearing because you took me into a, into a football, into a soccer team <laughs> store right. in Glasgow. Yes. Yeah. And what was the colour situation? We went into a, yeah. a, a Celtic or Celtic store. Celtic. Celtic. And, and what's <laughs> yep. the colour of the Celtics and what so, you were wearing? Yeah, well, <laughs> Celtic, Celtic are green and white. Uh, they're big rivals, are Rangers. They're red, white and blue. I had, a, I had on a blue tie. And, and, I, said, and I, I said, I've got to be careful in here with a blue tie on. Cullen took it's, me into this yeah. place, and it was like blue and red did not exist. It was a huge commercial store with all think, sorts of knickknacks. We, saw, and we saw one ring binder folder, which was blue. Was Nothing, was everything was other than blue and red, and, and you had a little bit of red on, and we had to, we had to watch it. We had to lay low <laughs> and get out of there. <laughs> Liz, if you're going to feel the, the passion of Scotland, where would you take your travelers? 
the passion of Scotland, or, or probably the, the, probably the, the, a football match would be the passion of Scotland. Okay. But if I was looking for somewhere, some spot to take my travellers, it would be Iona. The tranquility of this island, which was um, the home of, of mm. St. Columba, 6th century saint. And this was then a pilgrimage for people to go there, to travel to this island and the burial place of many of the kings of Scotland. So this is Iona, mm. I-O-N-A. That's and you correct. go there from Oban on a one-day side trip. It's just a couple hours by ferry. You mm. have the day and you come back to Oban. This is pretty near Ireland. It's just directly it across is. from Ireland. Is this where Christianity came to Scotland? St. Columba was expelled he, um, for reasons that we won't go into, and he had to travel from Ireland to the first place that he could reach where he couldn't see his beloved Ireland. So after a number of stops, he climbed the hill, which is only a very small hill on Iona, and this was the first spot. So this was the home of Celtic Christianity. And I'll tell you, there is a special character of the air Absolutely. and the ambience there. And even if you're not into that kind of stuff, Go to Iona with an open mind and you will be impacted. Spiritual. Anne and Liz and Colin, what is one tip on how to bring home a, a particularly rosy, warm Scottish memory? Uh, we'll start with uh, Liz. Well, first of all, learn how to say Edinburgh instead of Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Is, teach me how to say it correctly. Edinburgh. 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 So this is something very important, Edinburgh. And Colin, what's a tip for you? Talk to the locals. We're very friendly in Scotland, especially in Glasgow. It's a friendly city. And go into a bar, go into a traditional pub and just uh, just go in for a pint or a, or a whiskey. And That's what the pubs are for. Pubs yeah. are literally yeah, public it's a social houses. Place, yeah. People go yeah. there to talk. Mm-hmm. And, and I would challenge Americans to uh, venture into the whiskies. Yeah. You know, we have beer all over Britain, but uh, up in Scotland, the locals like it when you ask them, what's a good whiskey? Oh, yeah. yeah. And everyone's got their favorite. Everyone has a different <laughs> opinion on that. That's for sure. And Doig. Well, I would say use public transport because it's very good in Edinburgh and the whole of Scotland. You know, if you use the public transport, that's how you get to know the people and even sitting on the trains and buses and stuff like that. So within that. the cities and between the cities, go for the public transport. I would say so, yeah. yeah if, you, if you want a good sing-song on a Saturday night, take a bus home in Glasgow <laughs> because the whole bus will be... In fact, search YouTube because you'll see some brilliant examples of the whole bus singing. Uh, and the buses for the ball being to the pub. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Anne and Colin and Liz, thank you so much for this uh, fun discussion on your beautiful country. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to England, Scotland, Ireland and beyond. At ricksteves.com you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next adventure in Great Britain or Ireland, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.